We are proud to partner with MyFlex Learning. MyFlex Learning is a scheduling platform that helps middle and high schools meet the individual needs of all students. Students can easily create and manage time for flex blocks, wind time, activity periods, RTI, counselor and teacher appointments, and so much more. Even my favorite, Synergy Time. And with its built-in accountability tool and reporting features, MyFlex Learning solves your challenges around getting kids where they need to be and understanding how flex time is spent. Make flex time work for you. Visit myflexlearning.com BE to learn more and receive $500 off your first year. That's myflexlearning.com BE. This B Podcast Network show is presented by IXL. IXL's all-inclusive online teaching and learning platform simplifies EdTech needs and accelerates achievement in 95 of the top 100 U.S. school districts. IXL delivers personalized learning across a comprehensive pre-K-12 curriculum, including math, language arts, science, and social studies, and helps you assess student performance through actionable, real-time insights at every level of your school or district. This one solution performs work that typically requires dozens of tools. Want to find out why so many leading districts trust IXL? Visit IXL.com BE. That's IXL.com BE. Welcome to Transformative Principle, where I help you stop putting out fires and start leading. I am your host, Jethro Jones. You can follow me on Twitter at Jethro Jones. For several years now, I've been helping schools implement trauma-informed strategies in their schools. Now, as students are starting to come back to school, the need for this is greater than ever. Here's the thing. I'm not a social worker, and I don't pretend to be. So my training really focuses on practical strategies that you can implement in your school without making your teachers feel like they have to be social workers also. I help schools implement trauma-informed strategies so that fewer discipline referrals, fewer dysregulated students, and a calmer, more focused atmosphere. And the best thing is, this training aligns perfectly with ESSER funding, so you don't have to take it out of your school budget. My clients report that they have better sense of how to help their students without adding another thing to their plate. Go to jethrojones.com trauma to read more about it, and let's schedule a chat. That's jethrojones.com trauma. Welcome to Transformative Principle. I am excited to have Susan DeMalley on the podcast today. She taught for seven years in the Baltimore County public school system. Uh, research into her own son's learning difficulties led her to author the Classroom Auditory Learning Issues Resolution, which was adopted by the National PTA in July of 2007. And her work has appeared in Our Children Magazine, The Journal, Townsend Times, and The Baltimore Sun. She has presented at the National School Board Association Annual Convention to nation, state, and local PTA groups, to politicians. She was awarded the National PTA Life Achievement Award in May of 2007. 
the highest honor from the nation's largest child advocacy organization. She's also the author of Can You Hear Me Now? Join the conversation to make education a better choice. Suzanne, welcome to Transformative Principle. Thank you, Jethro. I'm excited to be here. I'm excited to have you. So I want to talk about the Classroom Auditory Learning Issues Resolution. The title of your book is much better than the title of the resolution. <laughs> so, <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> so let's talk a little bit about what you what got you started here and your experience with getting microphones into classrooms. Sure. What got me started is my, I have three children and um, my son, who is my middle child, was in kindergarten and he was diagnosed with an auditory processing deficit, which um, for your listeners, if they don't know what that means, um, it means that his ears could capture all the auditory signals perfectly, but his brain had difficulty interpreting those signals, what was coming in. And so he had problems discriminating between similar sounds. Um, and his lots of times he was actually hearing sounds in a different order than they were really being said, like the word fits, F-I-T-S, he might hear as fist. F-I-S-T. So it really impacted his ability to read. Um, it impacted his speech. It, I really saw also how it impacted his, his behavior. Um, he just started to withdraw from his peers because they would laugh and, at his speech and things like that. And so I started doing a lot of research about hearing issues in children. And really, um, as a parent, I was just trying to do everything I could to help him and understand how when he moved into first grade in the public school system, how being in a classroom would impact his ability to hear and learn. And I uncovered this wealth of information about how there's, first of all, there's so many children, between 15 and 20% of kids actually have a permanent hearing impairment. And another roughly 15% have a temporary hearing impairment from ear infections on any given day of the week, which really impacts uh, the primary level students. And I learned about poor acoustics in the classroom that prevent even the normal hearing child from being able to hear and understand what their teacher's saying, um, particularly like the further away they're seated from the teacher in the classroom, how that, that sound, that decibel level drops over distance. And um, because of reverberation and background noise, they, they miss out on up to a third of what the teacher's saying because of that. And um, so I was uncovering all of these problems that are going on in our classrooms every single day that impact every single student. And then I also learned of a solution, a really simple solution to it. And that is give a teacher a wireless microphone and put one or more speakers in the classroom. And it impacts, it improves every child's ability to hear and understand their teacher. And research has shown significant um, increase in academic achievement from using this equipment. Um, improvement in literacy, improvement in behavior, attention and focus. So um, as a parent, I you know, started presenting this information first to where my son was going to be starting first grade and in hopes that the school would put some of these systems in the classrooms there. And I realized this is much bigger than being about my son. This impacts all kids. So I started taking the information that I had to the Baltimore County School District and I attended all those exciting board meetings and I went to the budget meetings and really, you know, um, around the entire county because we were broken into different regions. And um, I started sharing this information with our district. And then I realized, again, this is bigger than just Baltimore or the state of Maryland. So 
I really spent four years of my life just trying to share this information with the entire nation. And I um, created a nonprofit organization and I um, eventually got the um, national PTA to back me on the issue. And that gave me the support of 6 million members. So it became a real national issue. And um, I finally ended with actually making a trip to DC and um, actually sharing it with the congressman in DC at one point. So it just changed my life. But that's how I, that's how I really got started with the whole resolution. Yeah, well, it's really fascinating because I'll share one of my pet peeves and that just drives me nuts every time it happens is when a, you're in a, a large space and there's a microphone being passed around for people to talk. And there's always the teacher who says, I'm a teacher, I don't need it. And they use that as as the reason for for why they should not have to have the microphone. And it just drives me bonkers every time somebody says that because it's not about you. It's about the people being able to hear you. Right. If your information is not important enough for everybody to be able to hear it equally as well as everybody else, then why should we even give you the time to talk? Because it, it does matter. And if you are in a large room and you try to yell to fill the whole room, it's very difficult to do that. And, and inevitably, they are talking to the person at the front of the room. And so they're facing away from everybody else. And if you just had a microphone, it would be so much easier. So that is one thing that if I'm ever at a conference um, and somebody says, I don't need a microphone, I have a teacher voice, it just drives me nuts. <laughs> so I can really appreciate that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I, I completely agree. Yes. And I, I did encounter that many times um, when I would be sharing my information lots of times. And it, they're just they're wrong. The science proves them wrong. But, you know, it's I don't know if it's just a, a pride issue or what, but, um, you know, the research shows that when kids are seated more than eight feet away from the teacher, they are at a significant disadvantage. And, you know, you can use a loud voice as much as you can, but it first of all, you're going to strain your voice if you continually do that all day. But it also will not achieve the same effect as if they just <laughs> use a microphone. Yeah. And if you, if I'm ever in a presentation and somebody says that to me, I will shame you in front of everybody, just so you know. Good. Good. <laughs> and, Thank you. And, uh, yeah. <laughs> Thanks for helping me on this. And so I, yeah, no problem. So I, uh, at my second school, my first school, we didn't have any voice amplification. At my second school, we had the kind that you wear around your neck like a necklace. And man, I put that thing on and I wore it with pride every single day. And then the best part is, and this is honest, Suzanne. I started talking quieter and people started having a harder time hearing me when I was just talking a normal conversation mm -hmm. because I didn't need to yell or project as much with a microphone. And I could just talk in a normal voice like you and me sitting here next to each right. other just talking. And it was it was wonderful. And what I really appreciate about that is that kids didn't feel like they had to yell. You know, I didn't have to feel that way either. And it really made a difference in our whole classroom atmosphere. So we could probably talk about that for a while, but. The important thing is I'm going to shame you if you say I have a teacher voice and I don't need to. <laughs> Please do. Please microphone, do that. You do. <laughs> yep. And part of that may have been um, me working in audio engineering in high school or in college and right after college where I was working on, you know, in large centers for speakers, making sure that people could hear them. And it just made such a huge difference. So anyway, going forward now, you have this book called Can You Hear Me Now? Join the Conversation, Make Public Education a Better Choice. 
And you say some pretty uh, intense things in there. So let's talk a little bit about that book. And one of the, we'll just talk about one or two of the messages that you really want people to hear from this book. So there's violence in education in schools across the country. There is a uh, large amounts of kids who can't read, who can't do math. Uh, you can take your pick. What are the issues that you see as, as one of the, we'll just talk about one right now, one issue that you think is really important that we need to be talking about? For me personally, I think the, um, one of the reasons I really went beyond just, you know, saying, Hey, I think I, I would like to write a book to actually doing it. it. It has to do with, um, an experience and it relates to what you're asking me where I was in a student support team meeting and I had brought up a student I was concerned about. I was a fourth grade math teacher and this student was on a first grade math level. And I recognized it at the beginning of the year that there were significant gaps. I did everything I could as most teachers try to fill in those gaps using research-based interventions, brought them up to team. And, you know, finally, um, it was March and we were having like a follow-up student support team meeting to, to see how those research-based interventions had, had helped or not. And I made the recommendation to the team that this student not be passed on to fifth grade because I was concerned that he wasn't ready for it. And he was also behind and significantly behind in reading as well. So it wasn't just a math issue. And um, I had gotten the support from his parent, which isn't always easy to do, but I had shared this concern early on in the year with her and we had been in great communication throughout the year. And we both saw a significant decline in his, you know, his self-esteem and just his ability to focus in the class because he just started tuning out and sort of giving up. And mom was concerned about that too. And so I had shared this, you know, my recommendation with the support of the parent at this meeting. And I was told, no, he was going to move on to fifth grade. And the reason that I was given is because there were so many other kids in the school in fourth grade that were even further behind than he was. And they would be moving on to fifth grade. So he needed to move with them. And I left that meeting and, and, and felt literally sick because I felt like I'm, I'm doing the wrong thing. I'm, I'm, this is not going to be good for the child. I felt like we were lying to the parent to say he's ready to be moved on. And I think that was just kind of the breaking point for me to say enough is enough. Like, you know, we need to really honestly confront these problems in education. And, and this was not an isolated incident. You know, this was, I'm referring to this one story, but Every single year as a teacher, I had uh, many kids starting out the year who were grade levels, multiple grade levels behind where they should be. And I can't even imagine what the high school teacher deals with because I was an elementary teacher, you know, and every year that that academic gap grows, it's, it's harder to fill. So by the time they're getting to high school, you know, it's, I don't, I don't know how those teachers handle it. So I think to me, that is one of the biggest problems in public education right now is we are moving these kids on from one grade level to the next, basically based on chronological, chronological age. Um, they are, you know, we've set these high standards. We have these common core standards that were supposedly very rigorous and they are, but we're not holding the kids accountable for meeting them. We're just moving them, moving them along. And that's not doing anyone any good. So to me, that is really one of the biggest problems that I hope really gets addressed from this book. Yeah, I, I wouldn't have supported you in holding the kid back either. 
but for a slightly different reason, which is mm-hmm. what good is it going to do to hold him back if we're not going yes. to change and anything I agree that we're doing that. about how we're teaching him? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Making a kid repeat a grade yeah. when we're just going to do the same thing we did is just ridiculous also. So there, there are a few ways that we could approach that problem in a way that is actually healthy. Like, for example, not caring about whether or not kids mm-hmm. learn things at the same time as other people, which is part of the problem because that is a natural occurrence that people will learn things at different times than other people. That's okay. So instead of our emphasis being, you need to know X, Y, and Z to move on to the next grade, perhaps what we should be more focused on is you need to learn how to read and do basic math as soon as you can. And we're going to take as long as it takes for you to learn that. John Cat Educational supports high-quality teaching and learning by providing publications that are research-based, practical, and focused on the key topics proven essential in today's and tomorrow's schools. The latest John Cat publications include a book whose bold, transformative ideas amaze and infuriate people around the world, according to one reviewer, a title from Global Leaders in Curriculum Planning, Practice, and Retrieval, one book that says stop talking and start doing with regard to teacher well-being, and much more. These books used by educators of all roles across North America and worldwide amplify fresh, engaging voices with practical strategies to create transformative change. Learn more in our show notes at jethrojones.com slash podcast. You don't know this, but the listeners all do because I talk about it all the time. So I apologize. My oldest daughter has Down syndrome. She is still not going to get the the math concepts in ninth or tenth grade because she is not ready mm-hmm. to develop in that area yet. And I am okay with that. The difference is is that we have a plan in place and a way to help her do that, and we have patients recognizing that that's going to happen because she has an individualized education right. plan for her which I believe every single student needs. And rather than say, you're in fourth grade, therefore you must learn these things, we should recognize that these things are the things you need to learn. And we care enough about those that we're going to ensure that you learn those things at some point. And that may take longer for some kids. In fact, we know it will, and we need to be okay with that. And part of our problem is we're just not okay with kids learning at different rates, even though they do it all the time anyway. We just get upset about it, which is completely ridiculous in my mind. I agree a hundred percent. And I think maybe if we did something instead of having standards attached to the grade level, but rather standards attached to each course, you know, like math 101, we have standards for math 101. And when you've met those standards, you go to math 102, you know, until you've met them, we're going to try different ways to help you meet those math 101 standards. And, you know, because kids right now, we kind of assume that every 10 year old is going to master the reading and the math and science and social studies standards all for that year, you know, at the same time. And it just like you said, it just doesn't work that way. I mean, none of us, um, you know, we all learn at different rates. We all have different strengths and weaknesses and we need to recognize that. And I agree with you 100 percent on what you're saying. And so, for example, 
recently the state of California and the name of equity said, we're going to stop doing gifted and talented education. And we're going to stop differentiating where kids are in math. And it's like they're taking a step in the wrong direction because they're doubling down on kids all learning the same thing at the same time. When the beauty of the world we live in with people is that we do all learn at different rates and that is okay for that to happen. It's not a bad thing that that's happening. So kids who who are struggling are not going to be any better assisted by that because they're going to have more kids and the teacher's going to be more stressed trying to differentiate for a much broader spectrum than if we could find ways to to help kids right where they're at with what they need yes. in that moment. And and that's a that's a tall order and would excuse me, would require our schools to change how they're doing business. But I don't think that it's impossible. So what are your suggestions for how to solve some of these problems? Well, the the one that we were just talking about, you know, again, I think that we really, you know, right now we kind of do what I was just talking about as far as having standards by course level when the by the when the kids are in high school. High schools kind of function that way, and then colleges, you know, definitely work that way. I, I think we need to do it starting at the elementary level. You know, do it for each course that they're te- taking, each each content area, each subject. Because you have some kids, for one thing, that are great at math, but they're not great at reading or vice versa. So, you know, this would allow those kids who, gosh, I have the great, the excellent reader, but struggling in some math skills to keep going further ahead and reading and not being held back. And then we can really focus in and help that child on the the math skills. Um, And, you know, I really think that we do need to make a, a massive overall change like that. And it is very complicated. You know, it, there's a lot of considerations, especially when you talk about logistics and, well, how do you, what do you do with, you know, the child who's in, you know, I, well, there wouldn't be a fourth grade anymore, but they're at a certain level, you know, maybe in sort of the normal level or age appropriate level for a reading class, but they're really super gifted in math and, you know, and the teachers for that are all in a different location. So there's a lot of complications, but I think that we really start to you know, we need to give some serious thought to that, that problem, because it is a huge problem because we have kids that are, you know, in high school and they, they can't read and they can't write and they can't do basic math and they're graduating, you know, or they're, they're dropping out because they're, they're just giving up. So we have to do something. Yeah. And the dropping out is, is mm-hmm. much more common, I think, than we like to admit. My district in Fairbanks, Alaska, our graduation rate was about 80%. 80%, that means one in five kids are not graduating. And graduation is not that tough of a goal to accomplish. It can be done, but it requires some flexibility and awareness right. of how to help kids get to that point. So one of the things that schools often do is they do uh, summer school or after school programs. And my problem with both of those <laughs> is that you tell kids all day they're dumb by giving them failing grades and they struggle through their classes. And then you keep them after school and tell them they're dumb some more. Right. And then you keep them in the summer and tell them they're dumb again. And no teacher is intentionally saying you're dumb and this is what's happening. But the the way that the school is set up and the way the curriculum is set up reinforces that idea that, yes, they are dumb because they're not getting it as fast as someone else may be. And it doesn't have to be that way. And those those interventions could be helping some kids, but more often than not, they're probably making kids reaffirm 
that they are dumb, which is not how we want kids right. to be feeling when they leave school. And that they hate school and they hate learning. It's also sending that message as well. Um, I agree. And I, and I think it has a really big impact on behaviors in the classroom as well. Because when you have kids sitting in the classroom and they cannot do the work independently and they're struggling through it and they keep getting papers back with E's and F's on them, you know, saying that, yep, you don't know what you're doing. You're dumb. That's the message we're sending. Um, I think it, you know, it, it's going to, it's going to cause them to tune out and then it is going to cause them to, you know, get into trouble and, and have behavior issues. So I think it contributes to that problem, which I talk about in the book as well. Yeah. When you know you can get mm -hmm. out of class by being a punk, then you're going to be a sure. punk to get out of feeling dumb because right. I'd rather be a punk than be dumb. I'd rather be the mm -hmm. class clown than be dumb. And my own personal problem was different when I was in high school where I was fine being the class clown so that I wouldn't be bored because things were not moving fast enough for me and they were not reaching me at my level. And the game of school was very easy for me to do because I knew exactly what I needed to do to get the grade that was good enough for me to not have to retake the class. Right. This was in, in high school. And it was a matter of recognizing that school is a game and figuring out how to play the game so that I could be successful. And to be honest, Suzanne, that was what I told all the students when I was a principal who were struggling. I said, look, this is a game. You got to think of it as a game because that's all it is. If you know how to play the game, then you're going to be able to get good grades, have your teachers like you and move on to the next grade without any issues. And that's the advice that I give kids. And it's shameful that yeah. I have to give that advice to kids because that's how they have to get through and right. be able to be that's successful. The way the system works. Yeah. So this has been a, a great conversation. I think that we could talk um, about a lot of this stuff. I appreciate your some so your simple approach to how to how to solve some of these things. So thank you for that. I want to narrow it down to an action step, though. What is one thing that a principal could do this week to be a transformative principal? Yeah, you might laugh at me, but I would say give my book to each one of your teachers because I think. I had a teacher actually do this. They, they read the book themselves. And this is a teacher who's been in the system for more than 30 years. And then he gave it to his principal and said, right before spring break, and said, I'd like you to read this. And I'd like us to schedule a meeting to sit down and talk about it afterwards. And it just started that conversation. You know, I don't know exactly what their conversation was. I, I didn't, you know, I wasn't privy to that. But that's what we need to do. We need to be honest about, I think, principals, if they talk to their teachers and, and they say, I know the system isn't perfect. I know it's flawed. I know that we have problems, but I want to do what we can to make it better. And we can start, we may not be able to solve all of the problems in public education, but we can start with the problems in your classroom. And I think just principals being honest about that everything is not perfect and it is difficult to make a change, but we can start by making a change maybe in your classroom. Help me to do it. Help me to know what is really the problem that you see. And don't just tell me about the problems, but tell me your ideas for a solution. And, and that's really what I try to get at in the book. It's that I'm not, it's not just saying, you know, we have this problem and that problem. And it's, it's not a book of complaints. It's a book to say, you know, here are the honest realities of some policies and practices that had some really good intentions, but they are not working everywhere. And, you know, so what 
can we start thinking about to either try to tweak those policies and make them better or to change them completely? And what can we do? And that that's what I would say. Yeah, I think that's a great suggestion. And that's something that's really simple. I mean, there's a lot of things that need to change and we can try to change them systemically, which requires a huge lift in a lot of different ways, or we can try to start changing them in our classroom. And I think that both approaches are necessary. You know, you need to devote four years of your life to get microphones into schools. But then when you became a teacher, you used the microphone, you know, and that's, that's a really simple way to ensure that your students have the best opportunities for success because of what you personally are doing, which is what teachers do every right. single day of right. the year, day in and day out, right? So this this has been fantastic. Really appreciate it. If people want to connect with you on Twitter, it's Suzanne Demali on, on Twitter. And then uh, on your website is uh, SuzanneDemali.com, correct? Yeah. Yes, that's correct. If they go to my website, they can access uh, my social media links through the website, and they can also contact me through that as well. And so I encourage people to to check that out and to go there, susandemally.com. And it's been great talking with you. And I, I think we can probably have you on again in the future and talk more about some of these other issues that we're seeing. That would be great. I would love that. Thank you. Hey, middle school principals, what if I told you that all your teachers had to do to teach your students really valuable social and emotional competencies was just press play? In Control SEL is a fully automated video curriculum that teachers and students absolutely love. And that's because it's easy and it looks just like a Netflix or a YouTube show. So all you have to do to hear about how it can completely transform your school is schedule your call. Tell us Jethro sent you and you'll get 20% off if you feel like it's a good fit. So go now to www.incontrolsel.com slash strategy call to schedule your call today. The link will be in the show notes. Do you want to simplify your school's technology, save teachers time, improve students' performance on state assessments? You can do it all, but don't waste another minute. Head straight to IXL.com BE to learn how IXL's research-proven teaching and learning platform can help you achieve all these goals. That's IXL.com BE. There are lots of solutions out there for giving students what they need when they need it. But when do they actually do all of those things? You need flexible time. When added into your master schedule, flex time enables students to get extra help or intervention, meet with teachers, make up work, get physical exercise, and try new enrichment offerings. If you're thinking of giving it a try, check out MyFlex Learning, which unlocks the benefits of flexible time without all the headaches you get with it usually. Its intuitive design and SIS integration makes implementation and training a breeze. Make your flex time work for you. Visit myflexlearning.com slash BE to learn more and receive $500 off your first year. That's myflexlearning.com slash BE.